tuned into a special episode of the beyond the pond podcast this is the podcast which generally speaking brian and myself utilize the music of fish as a means of introducing a listener to other bands because we love fish we are fish fans the problem with fish fans is sometimes they get a bit myopic as regards their favorite band They'll see upwards of 150 shows, but they don't see any other shows from other bands. That's kind of weird because I know Fish themselves like a lot of bands. So be more like Fish. That's what we're trying to aim for here. Yeah, like if you have to just go through their cover songs or go back to the 2009 website where they killed a bunch of albums ahead of Festival 8, whatever you got to do, man. I mean, if you have to listen to a podcast that talks about Fish in relation to other bands – just, I mean, for all, for, for for whatever you need to do, just get beyond the pond. Am I right? Mm, Am I absolutely. right? Right as rain. <laughs> and so today, similar to what we did on Tuesday, we are talking about our top albums of the year, this year now, 2016. We have crest over the... Uh, Halfway point of the year, we are in the year of the Lord, the Cubs World Series. Oh, what a what a World Series. What a win. We're also in the year where, tragically, um, the fattest president since Taft was elected. Uh, a raging pile of garbage that if he's not impeached, he should at the very least be uh Lose the election in 2016. Excuse me, 2020. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck 2016 in a lot of ways. This was a pretty awful year aside from the Cubs winning the World Series for me. Um, But even in the darkness, I'm sorry, I'm on a rant here. There is amazing music as is to be seen here in 2016. Uh, We are both dads now. Fish played a terrible summer tour followed by a really great fall. 
what else do we have to say about 2016, Dave? Who were you in 2016? Um, all I can remember about 2016 is uh, the day after going on the New York City subway <laughs> and seeing New Yorkers as stone faced and as silent. The last time I saw New York was in that sort of a state of shock was on 9 11, 2001. Yeah. Not even kidding. So I remember before that generally being happier. Bob Weir sat in with Fish in Nashville and did a really great version of Miss You. Aside from that, in 2016, I just remember being so goddamn stressed out about the run-up to the election that I just remember being stressed and being tired of being bombarded from from all sides. And it even got worse when it didn't go my way. I should say it didn't go the correct way, not just my way. It didn't go the right way. So... Uh, but yeah, it's funny. 2016, looking at my list here, there's some excellent albums. I mean, they're all good, but there's also definitely some albums that I have not listened to since 2016. So I don't know if that was because it wasn't quite as strong year as I thought it was, or I just felt really strong only about a few albums, or the uh, world in general was getting in the way of my listening with an open mind. So kick it off first, Brian. What do you got? So my number 10 is a record by the UK composer, uh, Anna Meredith, the record Varmints. Uh, This came out in March 2016. She's since put out uh, two records that I have not listened to, and I don't really know why. Um, I loved this record, though. It starts out with a song, Nautilus. It is one of the most wild songs I've ever heard in my entire life. It literally sounds like you are blasting off from space into the cosmos. It is such a wild uh, song, and the the rest of the record just kind of builds off of that. Uh, Anna Meredith is um, a British composer, electronic musician. Um, This, I think I probably found this because it was uh, a best new music on Pitchfork, and the album cover and the description of it just really captured me and uh, i listened to this record a ton in um 2016 i've listened to it a bunch since um it kind of took the experimental sounds that had been in my head for the first part of the decade and almost like refined them in some way and i love this record uh i come back to it uh often here in the um, uh, years since and uh, for any of our listeners who haven't heard it i would recommend it uh, immensely I haven't heard it at all. I need to listen to it. I think uh, I think you would love this record. Looking on Spotify, Nautilus is by far her most streamed song. All right. When I get off this podcast, I will do it. My number 10 album is from Columbus, Ohio's finest, Lydia Loveless. Of course... Her, uh, her 2014 album, Somewhere Else, got mentioned in the 2014 edition of this podcast. So in 2016, she put out an album called Real. I think a lot of it was um, somewhat inspired by the difficulties in impending divorce she had with her husband at a time, which is also a bass player in her band. This album skews a little more power pop than the last one, which is more country Americana rock and roll but still um, a very excellent rock and roll album she's a great songwriter with a wicked sense of humor the song on this album 
Midwestern guys is uh, darkly funny. And the opening track, Same to You, starts thing off on a right note, really kicks the door in, much like the first song on her last album. And she's also a podcaster. I think I mentioned that she has a podcast where she dissects all the ins and outs of Lifetime movies. She has a very good, droll sense of humor as well. And I believe that she's on Torn Out, The Mountain Goats, and she has an album coming out in 2020, which I'm very much looking forward to. So my number nine is a record that uh, I didn't realize at the time how much it was going to impact my overall kind of change in stylistic influence throughout the last part of the decade. Um, But it's one of Riley Walker's close friends, William Tyler's close friends, Cyan Nugent, uh, Irish singer, songwriter, guitarist. It's album Night Fiction that um, looking back on it now, uh, I remember I I listened to it because there was a song called Things Don't Change That Fast. And the title, I just felt like I had to listen to it. It seemed very pertinent to where my life was at the time uh, with a six month old and um, just kind of in this like home, quiet, very simple, isolated life um, that I I oddly miss at this point in time. and then the record I just kept listening to throughout the late spring or late winter, early spring of 2016. Um, and this looking back on it, like his guitar work, his songwriting, that kind of like experimental freak folk, somewhat jazzy influence that uh, is spread across so much of the music that I'm listening to right now feels like the first kind of step forward for me in that and uh, i didn't really know it at the time but this would have a huge profound impact on what i listened to uh going forward so cyan nugent night fiction so my number nine album is from a canadian band called white lung album's called paradise this is a furious punk rock album led by charismatic female vocalist mish ray and Otherwise, I don't have that much else to say about it. I know it's good. I don't listen to it much anymore at all. I'm not sure I've listened to it since 2016, but it's a really intense blast of music. So I got to go back and listen to it because I must have had it here for a reason. It's intense. It rocks. I remember her voice is a little bit on the Courtney Love tip, but I'd be lying if I said I listened to this uh, album much in 2017 or 2018. So, that was a quickie. What do you got, Brian? <laughs> My number eight is uh, the third record from Band Bon Iver, uh, led by Justin Vernon, 22 A Million. Um, this was a really anticipated record for me. 2011, Bon Iver self-titled was uh, my favorite record of that year. Still one of my favorite records of the overall decade. And he hadn't released, Justin Vernon uh, hadn't released a record in five years at this point in time. Uh, There was the record in 2013 with a side project, uh, Volcano Choir, I want to say, but I could be wrong about that. I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't really care for that record. Um, I don't seem to really like his side projects. I did not like Big Red Machine, which he did with, um, I believe, Aaron Dessner of The National. Um, This record, though, was kind of a challenging listen at the start the music is is really odd and kind of bizarre but um it was hard to wrap my head around the fact that it it took him five years to come up with what kind of sounded like an ep and my my initial impressions were similar to that of um uh the king of limbs uh the radiohead record from 2011 that was just kind of like 
we waited five years for this. Um, but as I listen more, the songs kind of deepen for me. Um, uh, this album came out right after my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember we, we both loved the self-titled record. And I remember just kind of in the month between diagnosis and treatment, uh, we kind of turned inward a lot of ways and we listened to this record a lot and the sounds kind of remind me of these weirdly comfortable or comforting nights where it's just the two of us uh, kind of preparing for this kind of battle ahead and it was just a lot of love in that um, but like the record kind of would go weave in and out for me in terms of I liked it I didn't like it or I couldn't listen to that much I saw him perform it all live and it was really quite good um, and then it fell off for me in a big way. And it wasn't until recently I re-listened to it um, for my, my my overall top albums, uh, the decade list and, and the listening project I'm on for that. And I really enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of really good ideas. I kind of wish that there was more to some of these songs or there were more songs because it feels like a lot of unfinished ideas. Um, but having not totally gotten into his most recent record, I, I, uh, this feels like an accomplishment for uh, Bon Iver. And uh, having gone back and spun this, I definitely would encourage it. It's, uh, it's got some wild stuff in it. For my number eight record, I have a band called The Hotel Year. The album is called Goodness. I think they used to be called like Hotel Year, like two words. But now they spell it uh, like The Hotel Year. They're um, an emo punk trio from Worcester, Massachusetts. And I think they're lumped in with emo. I know um, some people kind of compare this album to something like Sunny Day Real Estate's How It Feels to Be Something On, despite the fact that it really doesn't sound like that album. This is just a really fantastically produced, driving rock and roll album. It's very well written and uh, some very joyous vocals. To me, this album just sounds like waking up to a sunny day and stretching and looking out the window and saying, Fuck yeah, let's get on with the day. <laughs> Especially uh, the first two songs, I think, being Goodness Part 2 and Player Piano. Just some of the most brightest, giddy-up rock songs. Drums are perfectly mixed. The drums are driving. And it has uh, interspersed throughout are some like poetic interludes, almost like field recordings. There's a song called like Recorded in a Field in Vermont on like such and such date. I usually skip those, but really, uh, the songs went out. I think this band has a new album coming out at the end of this year, at the start of next year, that I'm really looking forward to. This is, if you enjoy some driving, uplifting rock and roll, really owe it to yourself to check out Goodness by The Hotel Year. I'm pretty sure we played Goodness Part 2 in uh, Episode 8, Reading Down with Disease. Okay, that's like, yeah, the song that makes you want to run through a yeah. wall. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> that's just when the whole band comes in on vocals because you hear drums, then you hear the singer kind of like squawking, and then it hits the chorus. The whole band comes in, and the guitars come in. It's just one of the most purest shots of musical adrenaline I can think yeah. of. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that we would showcase that song with the Reading, uh, Reading 2013 down to Absolutely. So my number seven is an album by the band Wilco called Schmilko. Uh, this was 
a really big Wilco record for me, even though it's probably their smallest record they ever made. Um, I did not like Wilco the album. I thought the whole love had some moments that were really good, hearkening back to the best of Wilco, but it didn't totally connect with me for a while. Uh, Star Wars excited me because I was like, holy shit, the weird is back in Wilco. This is cool. This was the record where I just fully dove back all in on the band. Um, spent a lot of the fall listening to their entire discography and um, eventually went and saw them on this tour in 2017. Uh, really just excited me about what prospects the band had going forward and has been really excited at this point in time for uh, uh, their, their new record coming out here in the fall and I'm going to be seeing them this fall. But I loved how, like more than anything, this record reduces all the sonic experimentation that Wilco's ever done to near silence and to very subtle acoustic melodies and experimentations. And it's a really bizarre record. You have to like listen to it with headphones to hear everything that's happening below the surface. If you have it on just in the background, it sounds very one note. Um, but I just loved the approach that they took to this. There's some really great songs on it. And uh, this helped me discover Jeff Tweedy's solo record, um, Sukare, that had a huge, huge impact on me in the fall of 2016. Um, but this, uh, I, I would not feel the same way about Wilco today uh, as I do had I not heard this record, had this record not come out. So I really kind of attest it to a, 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 another love affair moment with the band. It's a very good album. It's like, uh, a companion piece of a sense to Star Wars because they came out pretty close together, if I recall. It is, and it kind of where Star Wars strikes me as like uh, if you take the experimentations of the Summer Teeth through A Ghost Is Born era, right? Um, Schmilko feels like a part of AM or Sky Blue Sky. Yeah, definitely. I get the most Sky Blue Sky vibes of Schmilko. Yes, but yes. It's good. If I ever was a child's jam, I'll be a, a quiet mellow jam. Such a good song. Yeah, locator man. That's like mm. that mixes like the weird and the simple in such a cool way. But yeah, I love that. I love that record, and um, I'm really excited to hear what uh, uh, what we've got coming from Wilco here towards the end of this year. So my number seven is the second album from Savages called Adore Life. Of course. Their 2013 album, Silence Yourself, was my favorite album of that year. Adore Life is very good. It kind of sounds a lot like the first record, except it has the word love a lot. It's almost like a concept album. Everything is about love. Love is a disease. Love is everything we have. Love is uh, really the lyrics and vocals of Jenny Beth. She said in, in all the run-up interviews, it's about love, man. Although because it's savages, though it's uh, packed with a quite sinister twist. So, British classic sounding, British post punk, early Echo and the Bunnymen really um, kind of very much, very much comes to mind. Some shoegaze noise, fucking amazing crack rhythm section. Don't really know if the band still exists today or what they're up to. I know that they all have some side projects, which have one thing in common, is that none of the side projects are as good as Savages. <laughs> but we are very overdue for a 
honest to goodness, Savage's record in, 20, uh, in 2020, hopefully, because it's been far too long. So, what's next? My number six is uh, is the Is R by Dive. Mm. I fucking love this record. I think it's a little bit too bloated. It's a little too long. But, man, if you catch it in the right moments, especially like the first uh, third, the first 40% of the record are just such great songs, such great guitar work. I love this album. Uh, I think Dive's a great band. They got really good, watery shoegaze stuff that I totally dig. I love their bass lines. And the two songs that they've released from their forthcoming album... I think comes out at the end of this year are both really good. So yeah, I uh, I've just always I've always Zachary Allen Cole is that the lead guitarist? Yeah, Zachary Allen Cole or Kale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess he was better known for some drug problems. I guess he's clean now. Hopefully. Yeah, he was in the uh, GQ article that Trey yes, was in earlier this right. year, and you could tell he, he's 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 very young and, and still very close to what happened um i think mentally and emotionally but i think a lot of that was going on with within the recording of this record i think he speaks about how not really remembering recording this album or touring on this album in a lot of ways um it's very much it sounds like a strung out record in some cases but um it works the guitar line the guitars are beautiful um, they're really wild leads. Uh, it's produced really well. Um, dopamine. Like I said, I think it's song. What's that? I said dopamine's a phenomenal song. Under the sun. Under the sun. Dopamine. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a great record. It's full of really good jams, and um, I think it, you know slightly bloated. I think that there's like 16, 17 songs on it, something like that. Um, it was, I think intended as a double album, maybe pack it down just slightly and it's just like powerful 42 minutes but uh i'll still throw it on especially the first 40 percent of it and uh we'll rock it out it's it's really great live it's really great uh, uh turned up a lot on a good stereo all right so i have for my number six his gold messenger huh like a levy <laughs> course uh <laughs> this is his 2016 album i almost think of it as a trilogy beginning in 2014 with lateness of dancers yeah. and then uh more recently i think in 2017 with hallelujah anyhow you know we love mc taylor he just has an amazing voice he makes you feel like a million bucks his albums are very well produced americana and he's just a phenomenal songwriter he's got a great band backing him and he's one of the few guys who makes like studio albums that are as as rewarding as the uh, totally joyous experience that is his live show. And he's got an album coming out at the end of this year, um, maybe at the end, maybe like the next month or so. That I know it's going to be great because you only put that stuff that's great, and Heart Like a Levy is no exception. I know the the opening track Biloxi is probably one of my. One of my favorite HGM songs, just uh, instantly memorable and catchy with the chorus. Just on paper, it's hard, Lord. Oh, it's hard. It's kind of silly, but when he sings it, he already means it. So, 
This happens to be my number five record, so this is perfect. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a quite a good segue. Uh, yeah, man, I love this record so much. Um, this the the song "Heart Like a Levy" reminds me of um, early fatherhood, and I just kind of think of my kid whenever I, I hear that song. And just like the phrase "Heart Like a Levy" always just kind of like resonates with. Um, kind of how i felt just very heavy at that point in time um i share the exact same sentiments with you with the song galaxy uh that was really the first hgm song that connected with me um, my brother had told me about lateness of dancers i didn't listen to it and then this kind of ties into what i was talking about in our last bonus episode with albums like uh, um uh, mandolin orange as well as uh, as future birds it's just like represented a huge Americana revolution for me in terms of what I was listening to. And there's not a bad song on this album. This is my, I would say this is personally, I think the best His Call of Messenger record that's been released this decade. Um, and uh, I think I'd agree, actually. Yeah, like I, I think Lateness, Lateness Dances is great. Howley, anyhow, is is so hopeful in a time of darkness. But Heart Like a Levy, I, I just, there's... Oh, there's so much on that record. It's so filled with emotion, and it's just um, uh, reminds me of a pretty heavy period in my life. That this this was one of those records that came through like a hug when I needed it. So for my number five, had Danny Brown, Atrocity Exhibition. Danny Brown is a rapper from I believe he's from Detroit originally, and his thing is very nasally sing-songy vocals just he's like does weird vocal gymnastics he sounds like no other hip-hop artist out there the guy who produces his beats makes him like purposely fucked up and just gives him all these curveballs to see if he can like hit him over the fence and atrocity exhibition that i believe is a reference to the first song on uh the first joy division album and there is even a part um, on the album where he says, like, this is the way, step inside. Much like in the song Atrocity Exhibition on that Joy Division record. So he's a guy who I love. I kind of had to take in small doses. Like I can listen to him for like 20, 25 minutes at a time. But he's so intense and so deeply weird that it just, you get a bit nauseous after a while. And I think Atrocity Exhibition is probably his best album um one he put out before old it's also very good and i guess he kind of came to prominence via his uh his mixtape called triple x but he's he's an odd duck he used to be known for having a gap between his teeth and the first time he kind of came out of the scene he sort of looked a bit homeless but i think he's uh gotten the gap fixed and he's kind of Cleaned his image up a little bit, but uh, I've heard a track off of his uh, his forthcoming album, which I think comes out in a few weeks, and uh, he has not softened softened in the slightest. He's uh, more than a little obscene, but his twisted obscene. It's kind of funny. He likes rapping about drugs, and likes rapping about his weird sexual proclivities, and likes rapping about his old neighborhood and how things done changed. And he's uh, his vocal gymnastics are something to behold. I will just leave it at that, and you should probably listen to this album. 
Yeah, I loved this record. This I listened to along with the Vince Staples record that came out in 2016 a lot. And uh, I'm kind of surprised neither one of them cracked my top 10. Um, but I love both of them. And this, this I, I share your fondness for his weirdness, but also the fact that I, I kind of have to take it in small doses. I'm kind of annoyed that he got the gap fixed. That was like <laughs> Michael Freehand trademark. Right. <laughs> I, guess he, I guess his fans were saying like, 50 Cent was going to sign him to his label, but he didn't do it because 50 Cent didn't like the jeans he was wearing. <laughs> so my number four is a record from an artist that, uh, similar to my number 10, I have never listened to anything else that this guy's done. This record kind of came to me by happenstance and uh, I fell in love with it. Matt Kibble's Janice. Uh, he's a songwriter from Austin. And um, this is it's just a really interesting record it's uh he's he's a he's a kind of folky singer songwriter but it kind of sounds like something from like 60s uh like english folk and uh kind of like nick drake type of stuff but there's also like really bizarre experimental noise breakdowns within the within the album um the songs themselves like i don't totally know what he's writing about i don't really know what he's singing about and i kind of just like hear it from an atmospheric standpoint and just like this was one of those records I could put on when I was driving. I could put on uh, when I was cooking. I could put on kind of when I was doing other work and stuff. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it hasn't totally stuck with me in terms of my overall rotation. Not because I don't miss, not because I don't like it or it hasn't held up. More so, just um, I don't know. It was it was there in a in a year for me that I listened to a lot of different music, but also had a lot going on life wise, especially towards the tail end of the year and a lot of times just needed a record that resonated in a way that like I didn't have to deep dive into. So I think it ended up here in my number four spot because I just listened to it a ton. Um, it was always kind of on, uh, even if it made kind of an impact. I mean, I mean it, it, it wasn't like, like if I look at this list now and I think about like the Wilco record or the Hill his the messenger record, like those hit me in such a profound way. This was just a record I really enjoyed throughout uh, the latter part of the year and uh, felt it needed to be honored here. For my number four, I have Drive-By Truckers, American Band. So the day after the 2016 election, this was the only album I could stand to listen to. I think I listened to it four times in a row because Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley are just extremely good at getting to the heart of the matter. They're Southern boys, but they're liberal Southerners. And with the drive-by truckers, they kind of tell stories and kind of paint pictures of uh, ideally what the South could and should be. And on this album, it's definitely one of their more political albums. I know there's one song called Surrender Under Protest, which I know tackles the issue of uh, flying the stars and bars over uh, the capital in Alabama. There's a song um, called Guns of Umqua, which I think deals with a school shooting right outside Portland, Oregon, which is Patterson Hood's adopted home. Um, the song Ramon Cassiano, that's also a story involved. I forget exactly what it involves. Darkened Flags and the Cusps of Dawn. It's just a more honest, hard-hitting, political Drive-By Truckers album. It's the best Drive-By Truckers of the album of the 2010s. I think it's my 
favorite of theirs since uh, 2008's Brighter Than Creation's Dark. It rocks. It's produced very well. And of course, you don't need me to tell you that Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley can write some amazing lyrics just about the country and about um, people that they know well and about how things ought to be and how they certainly aren't. I know that they've Drive-By Truckers have definitely been one of the most outspoken bands in terms of Black Lives Matter, in terms of um, the, I guess you could say, awfulness of the individual who we have who claims to be the president right now. I know I saw them in March of 2016 playing some of the songs off American Band before the album came out. And there's uh, an earlier Drive-By Trucker song where... I think I forget what song it was that Patterson Hood was singing about his mother and he changed the lyrics to say, Mama, if you ever vote for Mr. Donald Trump, I'll kill you. <laughs> Thought it was pretty funny at the time, still is, but maybe not so maybe not so funny anymore. But they continue to fight the good fight. They're road dogs. They play so many freaking shows every year. They even play solo shows every year. Um, I saw them recently at Broken Bowl. They did a six-night run at Broken Bowl, which is pretty ambitious. And yet they still got it like relatively full. I was impressed by. But one of my favorite bands of the past 20 years, American Band's a great record. I think they have one coming out in early 2020. I'm very excited for So... Get yourself some American band. Do it. So my number three is kind of similar to my number seven. Uh, This is the return album from one of my favorite bands who had kind of gone astray for me for a few years and came back in a big way. And this is Radiohead's A Moon-Shaped Pool. Uh, Man, I remember when this record came out. We had a really long... I don't know if it was like this for you, if you even remember this. The spring of 2016 in Maryland. I don't know if this was all up and down the East Coast. But it was very cold. It was very gray. It was very rainy for like seven straight weeks. Almost felt like I was living in Portland again. So much so that I remember being like, is it ever going to be summer? And we had like a six-month-old, seven-month-old at the time. And... You know, so you're not getting out of the house as much as you normally would. I just wanted like a week of beautiful weather to like get outside and just like kind of kick cabin fever. I remember this came out like the week that things changed and things turned for a good way in that spring. And um, strange because it's kind of a dark and dismal record in and of itself. Um, It's definitely like the most like black and white record in a lot of ways that Radiohead's ever made. It's a really sad record compared to... uh, based off of what Tom York was writing about, his his wife at the time was going through cancer. His wife is his, uh, uh, ex girlfriend, I think. Um, she later passed away. Um, it's yeah, just Rachel, like, right? yeah. It, this to me, so I did not love to King of Lim- the King of Limbs. I loved um, in Rainbows. Uh, this record really reconnected me with Radiohead. It made me really fall for Hail to the Thief which was a record that took me a long time to really get into and that summer 2016 I went back to Europe uh, for work and I brought this with me and it just like threw me down a Radiohead rabbit hole the whole time I was walking around Ireland 
fit the mood when I was there immensely. And I probably listened to this record like a hundred times in the six weeks after it came out. And um, still have yet to see the band. Wanted to see them so badly on this tour. But uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal record that uh, I would love to hear what the band has been up to in the four years since. Um, because I thought this was a really cool turn for them following the more like electronic uh, records from Kid A through uh, The King of Lens. This album probably should have been in my top ten. I mean, I certainly listened to it more than I listened to White Lung. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't crack it. I mean, it's definitely, you know, without getting into too much Radiohead talk, we have our deep dive for that. It's far from my favorite Radiohead album. It's still very good. And those songs expanded quite a bit live. I was able to see them at Madison Square Garden on um, Moonshape Pool Tour, which really stretched deep. I think even back in 2018, they were still touring behind that album. Yeah. So let's see what I have for my 2016 album number three. Oh, yeah. Album by Underworld. Barbara, Barbara, We Face a Shining Future. Shockingly, well, maybe not shockingly, because Underworld have always been good, but they kind of were a bit shoddy in the um, the, uh, the 2010s. Put out the record Barking in 2010, which I was not a big fan of. I know uh, they had some other, I think, EPs and singles and whatnot. But this was a really excellent album, giving you both the um, big dance moves as Underworld, but also far more subtle in like some other ways. I actually um, haven't listened to it in some time, but it was very excellent to see live. I know I did see Underworld live in 2016 with a friend of the pod, Ryan Nichols, actually, at uh, at Terminal 5 in New York City. And this is just, it isn't quite as heavy on the big beats as past Underworld albums from the 90s, but it really, it's mature. It has like a good, mature, worn-in, lived-in feeling that while you can still get down to it, it's uh, downright subtle at times. But it's a very, very good record. So my number two is a record by Hamilton Lighthouser of The Walkman, formerly of The Walkman, and uh, Rostam, formerly of Vampire Weekend. I had a dream that you were mine collaboration between the two uh you get hamilton lighthouser's kind of whiskey soaked melancholy guy at the end of the bar lyrics kind of classic uh singer songwriter crooner stuff with rostam's kind of wild atmospheric sound that colored so many of vampire weekends uh records i loved this record i think it was much better than it had any right to be I remember hearing about the collaboration and just kind of scoffing at it and wondering why the two of them weren't making music with their actual bands. And um, it ended up holding up really nicely. There's a lot of really great songs on it, especially the first half of the album. Um, Has just like excellent songwriting. Um, uh, I went and saw Hamilton Lighthouser about a year after this came out. Songs from the record held up really well. I still wish he would play with uh, the Walkmen again. That is a band I would absolutely kill to see. I hear another one of their records now as kind of more seasoned dads since Heaven. But um, 
That's gotta happen. You gotta imagine like the money would be pretty good for them to come back. It'll be pretty good they're around long enough that people actually do miss them. Not that old. And I don't think there was anything like nasty about their breakup. I think a lot of it was just kind of time for them to step away and some of the guys wanted to focus on side projects and I think others wanted to focus more on their families. Right. So, but yeah, I love this record. I listened to it a ton in the summer and fall 2016. Um, you know, just kind of mixed really cool songwriting lyrically with uh, really weird noise, which, you know, just fused those two bands for me in a lot of ways. I absolutely loved. Getting to the top here. My number two album was Sturgill Simpson, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. Whereas uh, his previous album, which I also love, Metamodern Sounds and Country Music, was kind of like more of a, like a straight up Waylon's Jennings influence, uh, like Honky Tonk Country record. This one goes more country paladin. It's got string arrangements, it's got horns, and the whole thing is kind of tied together as a concept album of sorts. I know... At this point, he had welcomed a new son into the world. First song in this album, I think the first words are like, Welcome, my son. It makes it very, quite explicit. But it's uh, it's certainly a country record. This is the album that's got his sort of um, interesting country arrangement of Nirvana's In Bloom, which comes accompanied with uh, a huge, big string section. But he's the kind of guy who doesn't like to make the same record twice because the one before was more straight up. This album had, like I said, horns and strings, much more of an orchestrated effort. And now I guess the album that he has coming out towards the end of this year is supposed to be very psychedelic and weird. And the first song we've heard from that kind of sounds like it could have been from ZZ Top's Eliminator album because it has a big four on the floor, (laughs) like, like disco beat in the middle of it. I know when he toured behind this album, halfway through the show, he just said, all right, we're going to do the record. And he just plays Sailor's Guide to Earth, like front to back. But when I saw him at Farm Aid last summer, it was just like quartet of, it was a quartet of like angry blues shredding. And he ended up like firing half the people from the Sailor's Guide to Earth band. So Sturgill Simpson's very talented. He keeps you guessing. And this is just an excellent record well written well sung the horns are awesome there's like some songs that almost kind of sound like marching bands so just a well done record from one of uh, my favorite solo artists the past few years yeah that record kicks so much ass Uh, so my number one is definitely one of my favorite records of the entire decade. It's going to end up very high on my top albums list. Kevin Morby's Singing Saw. Um, So I discovered Kevin Morby by way of the band Woods. He was a bassist for the band in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And they put out like a string of records um, between 2009 and 2014 that are some of my favorite of uh, the decade as well. Um, some of them, for whatever reason, didn't make my list, but I, I, I think they've grown on me a lot more. Um, their, their record from 2009, um, uh, Songs of Shame, still one of my favorite albums of the entire tw- 2000s. But Morby went solo, and well, he played in the band The Babies in the early 2010s, 
And then he went solo, released a record called Harlem River in 2013 that was much acclaimed. Uh, I remember listening to it and it didn't hit me as much until I listened to it in hindsight after this came out because this record um, was a springtime 2016 album, hit me immediately the first listen. Um, uh, the title track, a uh, song like Dorothy, um, song like uh, Water, the closing song on the album. I have been to the mountain. I mean, there's so many great songs on this record. It's very well produced. Sounds excellent. Um, I, I, I absolutely believe this is the best record that Morby has put out to this point in time. Yeah, by far. Uh, yeah, it's just very cohesive, very, very focused, great ideas, great songs. Uh, the songs all sound huge live. He's got a really great band that he's touring with right now on his Oh My God tour, uh, album that just came out this year. Hasn't hit me nearly as hard. Uh, City Music did not hit me nearly as hard as Singing Saw. That was from 2017. But um, this record was just there for me throughout the entirety of 2016. Very consistent. Um, probably a bigger gap between this record and my number two than most years. Um, and, you know, as opposed to 2015, where Deer Hunter's Fading Frontier felt something like a weaker number one for me overall in the decade, uh, this was a huge, huge album for me at the time. And, uh, still has held up uh, as one of my favorites of this decade. So, Kevin Morby, Singing Star, or Singing Saw. What do you got? My number one, Steve Gunn, Eyes on the Lines. Not a huge surprise if you listen to uh, any of these podcasts, but I feel about Steve Gunn the way like 67 year old guys feel about Eric Clapton. <laughs> I uh, love his voice. I love his lyrical guitar playing. The songs in this album are a bit more direct than on uh, his previous album being Way Out Weather. But this is one of those records, Sunday morning, you just put it on, the thing plays itself. Me and my wife both enjoy listening to it. She, uh, It's almost on Sundays, we'll either listen to the Jerry Garcia band or we'll listen to Steve Gunn. We kind of just... Uh, like rotate on and off. I know his uh, his producer James Elkington knows how to make him sound really fantastic. And he's just got these great laconic vocals that are kind of a little bit Thurston Moore, a little bit Lou Reed, and he's got this great guitar style that's kind of splits the difference between John Fahey, Jerry Garcia, and Dwayne Allman sometimes playing all at once. And um, I just. It's a great record. Dearly. Yeah, just a great record. When you it's say. a really, really great record. I love it. interesting is that when you see him live, like James Elkington, who's in his band, ends up taking a lot of the solos. I mean, some people don't realize that. I think maybe Steve Gunn plays the solos on the record, but live he's more of like a rhythm guitar player. But I didn't expect that. Yeah. He's, um, he's certainly one to watch he's definitely well established at this point he has enough uh solo records and also records where he's kind of uh, a sideman like a featured sideman like his album with the black twig pickers it's very very good so his live show with riley walker from earlier this year is one of the best guitar oh god that was incredible that, that might make my top albums of 2019 list to be totally honest uh, i don't care it's a live show there's nothing i've heard nothing like that all year that's just unbelievable yeah that was the first night of the four night riley walker residency at union pool in williamsburg that was 
out of this world was um that was Ryan Jewell too. He was like playing drums in that one. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, and I, I think that was the best night of the whole of the whole run. That was a exciting night on Twitter as people were relaying messages of what was going on, and then to listen back to it the next day. Was oh just yeah, wild. people were losing their shit at that yeah. show. <laughs> I, I saw night four, which was very good but very different. It was like one forty-five minute loud drone piece almost with the guitar. <laughs> Guitarist David Grubbs from like Gastro Del Sol, like some other um, like Chicago based acts. That also had Ryan Jewell on drums. That was a different beast altogether. That was just 47 minutes of noise. Yeah. And that was, it was great. Yeah, he really did that well in the, in the early part of the, of the, uh, of the year. Um, so before we let you guys go here, Mm. The next episode that we are going to do that covers kind of top albums is going to be our top albums of the decade. Um, we wanted to quickly, before we let you guys go, run through our top albums of 2017 and 2018. Uh, we will post the links to those episodes as they went live in their respective years. We felt it'd be cool to kind of do a quick uh, just look back um, two years and one year prior to kind of where our heads were at and how different we might be at this point in time. So Dave, do you want to go through your top 10 of 2017 to kick things off and just kind of tell me what it looks like, what it feels like to you now, anything you'd change, anything that you think uh, doesn't belong there? Um, okay. Number 10, Lord Melodrama. Number nine, his golden messenger, Holly Anyhow. Number eight, Gang of Youths, Go Farther in Lightness. Seven, Slow Dive, Self-Titled. Number six, Turnpike Troubadours, A Long Way From Your Heart. Number five, War on Drugs, Deeper Understanding. Number four, Haim, Something to Tell You. Number three, The National Sleep Well Beast. Number two, Ron Gallo, Heavy Meta. Number one, he's much bigger in Scandinavia than he is here, but he's fucking awesome. Luke Elliott, Just for the Occasion. I used to listen to all these albums. 2017 was a really good year. It was. I wouldn't change anything. I love the Turnpike Troubadours dearly. I know they're on a hiatus right now, as I think the singer has to deal with some uh, drug and alcohol issues. I hope they get back together soon. War on Drugs, Deeper Understanding. Don't like it quite as much as Lost in the Dream. It's still really good. My daughter loves Haim. The really positive female role model, so I'm glad she loves Haim. Um, no, I'm very happy with this list. I still listen to all these albums. I still listen to Lord Melodrama, fucking Green Light, fucking crazy good single. Oh my god! And, uh, yeah, I listened right. to that record recently. It's so good. And Luke Elliott, he just writes these incredible songs. He has this great baritone. He has these great arrangements. Awesome production. He should be huge, but because he's a gentleman dandy Leonard Cohen Nick Cave type that stuff flies better in Europe and Scandinavia than it does here and plus I think also his uh, wife I think he might have just had a kid he's a Scandinavian wife and child so he's not toward the states very much unfortunately which is weird because he's from Jersey but if you get anything from this podcast fucking listen to Dress for the Occasion with Luke Elliott so my top 10 are um Number 10, Luke Elliott, Dressed for the Occasion, speaking of. Uh, number 9, Kendrick Lamar, Damn. Number 8, Fleet Foxes, Crack Up. Number 7, His Call the Messenger, Hallelujah, Anyhow. 
Number six, Craig Finn, We All Want the Same Things. Number five, Ryan Adams, Prisoner. Four, The National, Sleepwell Beast. Three, Slow Dive, Slow Dive. Two, Gang of Youths, Go Farther in Lightness. And number one, The War on Drugs, A Deeper Understanding. Uh, 2017 was really the year of our War on Drug joke that we kind of beat into the ground. Um, So that was fitting to be my number one. Um, I... I wouldn't change much about this year. I definitely agree with you. It was a really great year for music, and it was a really exciting year for, you know, we were just getting started uh, in this podcast. We started it in March of 2017, and it really helped me. Like, I got Luke Elliott from you, uh, really got into the Slow Dive record after you recommended it, saw them live at the end of that year. Um, I thought there was some really great music that was made throughout this year. I love a lot of these albums. Um, I think the only one I'd swap out, Ryan Adams, Prisoner, <laughs> I don't think would be on this list. I honestly think I'd swap it out for Tur- Turnpike Troubadours A Long Way From Your Heart, which, uh, again, I got from you and uh, was just a huge, huge record for me that year. Um, also a record I was listening to recently that um, is this this artist is featured quite often on Jesse Jarno's The Frau, the Frau Show, uh, Chuck Chuck Ball or Chuck Johnson, uh, his his record Balsams that came out in 2017. That is pedal steel ambient brilliance. I've been listening to so much lately. Um, that might slot in there, but some really this was like 2017 was the year of 2000s blog rock making a comeback. So Fleet Foxes, The National. You know, you've got these like um, bands that had been around for the last decade and a half basically making comeback grizzly bear had a big album lcd sound system it was a really interesting year in that sense well, that was 2017 <clears throat> that was 2017 yeah okay um that lcd sound system record actually might end up in my top 10 if i had to redo it i love that album um but yeah i i, I think that overall it was a really strong year the war on drugs a deeper understanding not don't love it as much as lost in the dream that was a really interesting record to come out when it did uh, or how it did because it was so well produced in contrast. I mean, Lost in the Dream is very well produced, but this was clearly Adam Grandshield had money uh, to go behind his uh, his, mm-hmm. his project. And um, I remember that making me initially think it might be better, but uh, I think in hindsight, it's, 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 it's not what Lost in the Dream does. Uh, the National Sleep Well Beast was a really cool experimentation and... Uh, Man, I, who can forget when we discovered Gang of Youths? That was a pretty wild moment to discover. Like, basically a fully realized band uh, in, in late 2017. Super fully realized. Yeah. Super, super good. You haven't seen them yet, right? Because they keep canceling them. Sure. <laughs> I've had tickets to see them, I think, three times. and Their shows have been canceled for legitimate reasons. I don't want to laugh at them. Um, I think one of their fathers was sick at some point, And I think... Uh, uh, Dave Lepipu, the lead singer, had some vocal issues that prevented him from going on tour. Um, and then the next time they came through town, it was a $120 ticket to see them open up for the Foo Fighters at the Pepsi Center. And I just, I, I feel like right. I need to see them in a club. But um, jumping into 2018, what do you got in 2018? I had number 10, it was Kurt Vile, Bottle It In. Number nine, Parquet Courts, Wide Awake. 
Number eight, Flasher, Constant Image. Number seven, Culture Wall, Songs of the Plains. Number six, uh, Boy Genius, self-titled EP. That, of course, being uh, the supergroup with Julian Baker, Lucy Dacus, and... Phoebe Bridgers. Phoebe Bridgers, of course. Of course, of course. Number five, Foxing, Near My God. Interesting record. Number four, Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, Hope Downs. Number three, Ice Age, Beyondless. Number two, Spiritualize and Nothing Hurt. Number five, One, Wooden Shijips. Five, like the Roman numeral five. Um, 2018 wasn't that long ago. I like all these records. Some of them I don't listen to much anymore. I haven't put the Boy Genius record on in quite a while. Um, I haven't listened to Colt to Wall recently just because you need to have the right environment, which is sort of either outdoors or in the dark by a roaring campfire as he sings to you quite mysteriously. But I love, I still love the Kurt Vile album. That should probably be higher than 10. Wooden Ships, still madly in love with. And Jesus Christ, is that spiritualized album good? <laughs> that so awesome. Yeah, I was rocking that album recently. It's such a good record. At number three, there's some songs that record. I love the first three songs and the song Catch It. That's one of those records where some of the songs are so incredibly good, you wonder why the other ones don't measure up to it. So maybe not number three, but that's still Painkiller is such a fucking good song with Sky Ferrara. Yes, that song rules. The introduction to that song is just unbelievable. Yes. <clears throat> so my number 10, Father John Misty, God's Favorite Customer. Number nine, Parquet Courts, Wide Awake. Eight, Beach House, seven. Number seven, Jeff Rosenstock, Post. Six, Coulter Wall, Songs of the Plains. Five, Yellow Tango, There's a Riot Going On. Four, Casey Musgraves, Golden Hour. Three, Kurt Vile, Bottling In. Two, Low, Double Negative. And one, Jeff the Brotherhood, Magic Songs. Um... I think looking back at this this year, I mean, again, yeah, it's not that long ago, but I've been listening to a lot of these albums of late, just my top albums of the decade review, um, and I hadn't listened to them probably in about six or eight months, so they feel slightly dated to me in that sense. I think uh, Low would be my number one in hindsight. Um, that's probably going to make my top five of the decade. It's one of the most mind-altering albums I've ever heard in my entire life, and then I saw them live in March. And it's probably the best concert I've seen all year. Um, the way that they recreated that album with three people on stage and the fact that it's unquestionably the quietest show I've ever seen in my entire life. The, the audience was so respectful and receptive and focused on what was happening on stage, which allowed them to play with such near silence and such weird sounds. Um, I, I just can't get enough of that record. And every time I put it on, I feel like I have no idea what's actually going on. Uh, I think Casey Musgraves would be a little bit higher. I saw her at Telluride, and she, what she has going on, it's an incredibly well produced record. But it is not just production. She, she, that that's her her voice. She plays really good, good guitar. She's got um, just like a really great sense of humor on stage, and it's just a beautiful pop country record that kind of pushes up the norms of the genre. 
Uh, Yola Tango, there's a riot going on, I think would be higher. I think that that is a masterclass record from them. Um, pretty amazing to, to look back on this decade. And you know, if you throw popular songs in there that came out at the tail end of the 2000s with Fade and with There's a Riot Going On, I mean, it's just such a great argument for the future and the current sounds of Yola Tango, kind of similar to what you're hearing from Fish from like 2012 through 2015, just peaking at an older age in a really unique way. Um, Beach House might not be on this list. Uh, I've listened back to that and it just doesn't hold up. It kind of really feels to me like Teen Dream is the only album of theirs from the decade that I just absolutely love. Um, aside from that, this year was kind of interesting for me in the sense that, you know, like uh, Coulter Wall, uh, Low, Jeff the Brotherhood all kind of represent similar like sounds where my head was going uh, over the next six to eight months and kind of where I'm at right now from a musical interest standpoint. So, um, love a lot of these records. I think I'd shift a few around if I had to do the list all over again. But uh, good year overall. Not ne- not necessarily a 2017, but a good solid year overall. Absolutely. All right. I think um, you've hung around for this long. You've had uh, quite a few musical recommendations that are not fish thrown your way. So we appreciate it. We do. Yeah. And uh, we've got another traditional episode coming up here shortly. That is going to be part of a three-part series for 2019. And then uh, if you look ahead to October and November, we got some great episodes to close out the year. And uh, we're going to be recording our top albums of the decade episode live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, which should be very, very cool. So uh, mm. we're definitely excited about that. We're going to eat some good food together. We're going to hang out, chat about music, uh, throw back a little bit of whiskey, a little bit of beer, and see what happens. That's going to be a fun time. I'm looking forward to that. Likewise. It's very, very late on the East Coast. So uh, Brian's kid just turned four. Happy birthday, Wally. Hey, there it is. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, he's four on the East Coast. He's still uh, three out there in Denver, Colorado. He was born on the East Coast, so I guess he is four. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Having some trouble keeping my eyes open. So if you've gotten this far, as always, thank you very much. We've given you plenty of music which to watch your palate and expand your mind. And come join us shortly. We will go beyond the pond.
Osiris.